This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so we're at one of those fun days in kind of church and social life. Do I need to go to church after I've been to church during the week, right? <laughs> I know. Okay, a couple of you look at me with weird faces. You're like, what do you mean? It's Sunday. We go to church. The ones laughing are going, this debate did cross my mind. I had gone and I wonder. So it just raises the question, why? Why is it that we come to church? Now, whether or not you took it as deep as I'm going to take it today, that's really between, I guess, you and you, but where we're going to take it is, what are we up to? Why gather? Why do the setup and the takedown and the coffee and the trailer and the bulletins? Why have, I mean, why all of this? What's it really about? What's going on in our lives? Now, believe it or not, in a few short days, we will enter the roaring 20s. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I remember growing up and like, wow, you know. The roaring 20s and all the, you know, was it the flappers and all the craziness, right? So it's coming back, the 20s. Some of you guys are like, really? We're going to wear that stuff again? All right. All right. Some of you are like, they're already wearing that stuff, Pastor. The world's crazy. All right, fine. Uh, but we've, we've, flipped, we've flipped decades. Some of you have spent the last 10 years going, what do we call these years? I don't know. Well, now we're back to things we know, 20s, 30s, 40s. We're back to that uh, in just a few short days. Now, the hymn that we just heard, uh, We Walk by Faith and Not by Sight, is written by a man uh, named Henry Alford. Now, I bring him up because you know him from another hymn that you didn't know you knew. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the hymn, uh, Come Ye Thankful People, Come? All right, so Henry Alford wrote that as well. He was a Victorian-era uh, uh, composer and writer, uh, and he wrote that hymn, but he had a lifelong goal. Uh, Henry Alford's lifelong goal was to get to Jerusalem. He wanted to get there and wanted to see for himself what was happening around Jerusalem, all the sights, see where Jesus had walked. So he writes the hymn, We Walk by Faith and Not by Sight. Now, he actually lived in England and taught at Trinity College in Cambridge, uh, was his background, uh, was a, a very well-known uh, teacher and scholar in his day. But again, he writes to him, we walk by faith and not by sight. He actually never makes it, never makes it to Jerusalem, never has a chance to fulfill that lifelong dream. So that were you to go now to England and see his gravestone, this is what his gravestone actually has etched on it. The inscription reads, the inn of a pilgrim traveling to Jerusalem. I just want to say it again so it sinks in. His tombstone reads, the inn of a pilgrim traveling to Jerusalem. And to that, you then have two verses of a hymn, we walk by faith and not by sight. He's just taking a repose in his grave, waiting because he's still going to Jerusalem. Now listen again to the second verse that you just sang. I want to read the words to you. We may not touch his hands and side, nor follow where he trod, but in his promise we rejoice and cry, my Lord and God. See, you may not get there. You weren't Thomas. You didn't get to actually touch the hands and the side. 
but you can still cry, my Lord and my God. We walk by faith and not by sight. But after 2,000 years of distance, it is quite easy for us to see the events of Jesus' life as, let's be honest, distant, and to become disconnected and go, yes, I I can read that someone else had that experience. They had the up close and personal, uh, but for me, it just doesn't feel that way, and I'm not quite certain what I do. So Henry Alford was right. We walk by faith and not by sight, even though his whole lifelong goal is I want to walk by what? He actually wanted to walk by, yeah, he wanted to walk by sight. His life goal is I actually want to walk in Jerusalem. I want to see it. Here's the tomb. Here it is. Oh, here's the, you know, the mount. Here's all the sights. That was his goal. Now, someone in here got really depressed because you have a lifelong goal to do something. You're going, what a bummer of a sermon. So you're telling me, Pastor, I'm not going to reach my lifelong goal. No, see, you misunderstood what Alfred actually wrote on his tombstone. He wrote the inn of a pilgrim traveling to Jerusalem. He's still, he's still going. See, it's still happening. Alfred understood as he got older in life that maybe everything he thought that he needed now, maybe some of that can happen a, a little bit later on, and that God had timing that was even more perfect than he knew. Now, as we walk into the season of Christmas, and we walk in and we've got kids who are very, very energized, and some of you are like, yeah, you should have seen them at my house during the week. Okay, fine, I'll trust you with that. Uh, I have my own. There's a little energy that goes. But this morning as we walk in the season, it speaks plainly to us. That is the season of Christmas. And it says, Jesus stepped into time, a very powerful, powerful movement and action that isn't just for Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men. That it actually changes life for you and me because he refused to remain aloof. For some, they'll say, okay, so you Christians, you have a God, but your God doesn't always seem to be where I want him. Your God doesn't seem to touch me when I need him to touch me. Your God seems, and then people will insert, distant, far off, uh, just not here. Some refer to a God in this view as a clockmaker God. I mean, he, he set it all up, he made a clock, but then he just hung it on the wall and he left. That's not the story of Christmas at all. The story of Christmas is a God who didn't just make a clock. He comes in when the clock got out of line, he made sure the clock gets reset and he's winding it all the time. Any of you have a clock that you had to wind as, as children? Yeah, sadly, one of my favorite clocks as a kid, uh, it, it just died. Uh, and if my parents listen to the sermon online, they'll learn something, which is, I guess, maybe sad to them. Uh, it doesn't sound the same because they replaced, you know, the beautiful chime, which my mom and dad told me, you know, they, they were sad to see. So they're like, well, the electronic chime sounds close. Yeah, I know. Some of you are doing the head nod like, no. It, it doesn't. Uh, uh, the odd thing is, do you know what a unique skill it is to actually be someone who repairs clocks? That skill is almost, I mean, sadly to tell you, it's almost gone. Uh, someone that used to be around the corner, they could do it, the parts aren't there, the other pieces. You see, the challenge for us is, what about our own clocks? Who repairs our clocks? And I don't mean your grandfather clock in your life or the clock that chimes. I mean your own life. Who is it that's actually there? And there's someone who's always been there willing, but you actually have to acknowledge that there's someone who can straighten things out for you. See, we may not have all the answers in life, but that clockmaker, that one who is Jesus, speaks a more assuring word into our lives. So I want you to turn to Hebrews. Uh, If you've got your Bible, uh, open up. We're going to jump into chapter 10. 
So we've got Alfred, uh, the hymn writer, who's telling us we walk by faith and not by sight. We may not actually have touched the side, but here we are. And then we step in chapter 10, 11, and 12. Kind of 10 is this wonderful, powerful passage, and I'm going to kind of tell you where we're going, and then we'll come and loop back around. All about Christ and his sacrifice once for all. 11 is all those in this hall of faith, and then 12 is, man, you got all these people who have followed in the faith. Stand tall, ye Christians. Know that you're not alone. So we step back into 10, which is a reminder from the writer of Hebrews about what is it that Jesus did? Why is it? Some of you are going, well, you told me why am I here? Here's Hebrews 10. Here's the why we're here this morning. Behold, I have come to do your will. This was Jesus speaking about what his coming into the world. Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second. Now, the writer of Hebrews, just before in our reading we heard, talks about the first order, that sacrificial system. Whether that system was happening in the tabernacle or whether it was happening in the temple. The first order, but then Jesus comes in and does something new. He does away with the first to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Now, I want you, whether you're doing it with your ears or with your eyes, to highlight and underline these words, that it actually happens once for what? Once for all. So how many times does Jesus need to die for you? Once. Has it happened? And all God's people said, praise God. I'm serious. Know this. It has been finished. So when Jesus comes in, because the first order of sacrifices said that the priests had to do what? Daily. They had to do lots and lots of stuff. Do you remember reading Leviticus earlier this year? I mean, hopefully you're okay with me saying it. Reading Leviticus was a bloody mess. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I guess you can say that. Yeah, that's actually accurate. It is. The idea of bloodletting an animal. Now, I realize there are grain sacrifices and others and wave offerings. We went through all the offerings. But to share with you this piece, Jesus in the second order is completely different because his sacrifice happens and now it's done. This is why, how many of you brought a pigeon this morning? Okay, see? You didn't need to. You're like, why did I need to bring a pigeon? You didn't. I didn't ask like, how many brought a little lamb. You know, you're like, because that's just sad, right? Like, it is. But it goes back to the same point. The idea of being welcomed back to God is a bloody mess. And the idea of being redeemed and forgiven, it's painful. If you think that Jesus forgiving you is easy or a cheap grace, then you don't understand what the writer of Hebrews is reminding you of. The sacrifice still happened, and it happened once for all, and it's a willing sacrifice. The text goes on in verse 11 to 14 to talk about that system of what the priests were doing. And every priest stands daily at his service. It's kind of this unique picture, like if you were at a museum of the temple, you know, as if like this is what someone's speaking when you walk up to one of the displays. And every priest stands daily at his service. Like you can almost imagine today, be like an animatronic priest, as I stand at my service today. Every priest stands daily to service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And some child would say, why are they doing that every day, Mommy? Why are they doing that every day? Well, the writer continues and explains it. Well, they were doing that, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, 
He sat down at the right hand of God. It's a whole different picture than the priest, right? You've got the priest every day who's working, grinding, doing his job. Jesus comes in offer at once, and then you get the image of what? Jesus did what? He sits down in repose. A very different picture. A priest who was working, 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 and Jesus completes his action, and the one thing we Christians aren't real good at every seventh day of the week, right? Taking a, taking a rest. Six days he made the world, and he took a rest on the seventh. Uh, the Sabbath was actually made for who? For, for rest. And God actually knew who needed the rest. Did God need the rest? No. Who needed it? We did. Yet we're so proud of a seven-day work week. You guys, okay, so you're not. <laughs> you guys are like, no, no, we are not. I, now, I'm guilty of it too. Anyone ever shop on a day that you wish everyone was off? I mean, it's just, it's an odd little picture of how these things unfold. The text goes forward. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. He's not just in repose. It's Sunday lounge day, waiting for his enemies to become a footstool. That is not the image you have of most of your enemies. You have your enemies, what? Earlier in the Old Testament, they were like a hungry lion prancing around, and you've got Jesus in repose going, hey, they're going to be my footstool soon. It's all right. Very different image from a priest who was grinding every day to get things set, and Jesus who said, I've done it, and I'm waiting, and it will all find its fulfillment. For by a single offering, he was perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Sanctification is that process by which God draws us closer to himself. It's not you being made perfect. You have been made perfect in God's sight through your baptism. God has called you already his own. Sanctification is you drawing closer to who God is as God draws you in. But ladies and gentlemen, guess what? You're not Jesus. And not that any of you came in thinking that you were, but just remember, he is completely different than anyone else who has ever walked. Your works are not the works of Jesus. Only Jesus could offer his flesh so that all humanity could be welcomed back to the Father. He is your substitute, your perfect, perfect atonement. Jesus' blood speaks a greater word than any other sacrifice. The text moves then to verse 15 to 17, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. So you've got Jesus bearing witness. Chapter 12 will echo and say, because we have such a great cloud of witnesses, this idea that someone is speaking often. Now, why do people speak things again and again and again? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are not listening. That's why someone says it again. Very sad moment at my dinner table last night. It was really sad. Really sad. Nathan said something. Love you, little buddy. Uh, and he says, he goes, all right, um, how many of you heard me? No one. And then one person goes, I heard you. And then this little guy, like so sharp, goes, all right, then tell me what I said. <laughs> and then Nathan had the biggest little heart, and he goes, well, all right, I'll tell you guys again. You see, the unique thing about church and why is it that we're here is because we have our ears closed. Like, you, yes, you, you've heard some of the stories before about what Jesus is up to, but we, we just weren't really listening. And we need to hear it 
again for the first time. You need to hear again for the first time what Jesus actually offered. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with him after those days, declared the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts. God does that. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Jesus changes it all. See, all the stuff that you carry with you, God's saying, put it down. We have the memory problem. We forget that God told us to put the sin down. But we open up every single worship service in the same way, speaking uncommon things. It is not normal to tell people that you are sinful. It is not normal to tell people that you are a person who at your core doesn't do what God wants and doesn't look out for your neighbor. Now, you may look out for your neighbor during the week. You may be reading the scriptures and having God daily come into your heart as you read scripture. I get that. But to profess also, but God, I'm going to need you to remind me of that again. This is Mark 9, 24. Yes, I believe, said the Father to Jesus. Yes, you can heal my son. Yes, I believe, help my unbelief. See, it's, it's unfortunately this side of glory, a both and. Yes, God, I know what you're up to, but I have no idea what you're up to, and I'm scared you're not going to do anything at all. And I need to hear again that Jesus has done everything for me. The text goes then to verse 18. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Get ready for your English lesson of the day. What are these? You gotta know the referent. Now, some of you are looking at the rest of the text, and this is great. You've got your app, you've got your Bible. That's wonderful. These refers to what? Sins. You bet. Where there is forgiveness of these. So don't look at the verse like these. You know, I don't want you going in your car going, well, if somebody forgives me of these. I gotta find out what these are. No. When there's forgiveness of your sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. You don't have to offer anything anymore to God for your sins to be forgiven because it's already happened. We end up beating ourselves and putting all this weight on as if, man, if only I could make myself right with God. You already are in Christ. And you need to hear it again and again because, ladies and gentlemen, we weren't, we weren't listening. So the person who wonders, why is it that we are at church again? Didn't we just do this? You bet. We did, and God wants to speak the more assuring word. God's blood speaks the more assuring word than anything that has ever been spilled before. It says, you are mine. You are my children. It is finished. And the Holy Spirit holds you fast in that confession. What follows, if you look ahead to Hebrews 10, 23... Hold fast the confession of your hope, for he who promised is faithful. And then Hebrews 11 takes you all the way through the hall of faith. And then Hebrews 12 takes you and tells you, for since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, may we hold fast. God does not leave you alone. God cares for you and moves you forward. So as we close this day, 
I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing verse 3, 4, and 5 of that hymn, We Walk by Faith and Not by Sight. And here again, Alfred's inscription. He is one who is an inn, at an inn, a pilgrim at an inn on the way to Jerusalem. Listen to verse 3 before we read it. Help then, O Lord, our unbelief, and may our faith abound to call on you where you are near and seek you where you are found. If you'll rise with me, I want you to just notice in these verses, where do we come to see God where he is found? In his word inviting, at the font cleansing, and at the Lord's table feeding. To the person who asks, why are you going to church all the time? Because that is where our faith is found and fed and renewed. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.